and thanks to everyone for dialing into today's call. With me today is Portfolio Manager Tobias Yao, Senior Equity Analyst Sean Wyke and Sam Kosh, and Equity Analyst Will Thompson. Unfortunately, Equity Analyst Cooper Rogers couldn't make it uh, with us today. He's actually in China at the moment, which is probably our first offshore trip to China for a few years, which is good to see. So hopefully he brings uh, some valuable insights uh, back, which I'm sure he will. So as a reminder, the six of us at WAM Capital, WAM Research, WAM Active and WAM Microcap sell over 4,000 companies a year and identify undervalued growth, co growth companies predominantly in the small cap industrial sector. As it stands today, we do not own a, a company within the top ASX 50 companies within the, within the market across any of the portfolios. So turning to slide three and four of the presentation, you can see a summary of the small cap funds uh, that we manage. Now, firstly, on, on WAM Capital, we were very happy with how we performed through the 2023 financial year, with the fund outperforming uh, by 3.5%. And this was despite the fact we had a 5% headwind with small cap companies underperforming the broader market for the second consecutive year. We've had a great start to the 2024 financial year. It's in fact our best uh, reporting season we've had really since, since 2020. And, and the portfolio is outperforming the market by just over 3% as at, at the end of August. Because of the strong performance, we've been able to add to the profit reserve. And as it stands today, we have 14 cents in the profit reserve, which means we can pay the next dividend in November, that's 7.75 cents and around 80% of the May 2024 dividend. So we're in a much stronger position than what we were um, a few months ago, but I think it's worthwhile uh, to remind shareholders that you need to be monitoring uh, the market and obviously our performance versus the market in the net tangible announcements, net tangible asset announcements you see every month. Now, now turning to WAM microcap, and you know, there's been a number of years where we've outperformed strongly, namely 2020, when we outperformed by 17% and 2021 by 20%. But I actually think last year was probably our best ever year. And we managed to outperform the, the Small Ordinaries Index by 8.5%. And the reason why I say this was it was an extremely hard market for micro cap companies, given a lack of liquidity uh, within the market. And, you know, the team performed extremely well, finding some great ideas. We had a number of companies that doubled and tripled over the year, Companies such as Close the Loop, SmartPay, um, also Tuas, um, and also Mermaid Marine come to mind. Now, we've added to the profit reserve again this year, and we've actually increased our dividend to 5.25 cents a share. And we have just over five years of dividend coverage within WAM Microcap. Now, moving on to slide four and WAM Research. Now, unfortunately, we just missed out on outperforming uh, uh, this year. We underperformed the All Ordinaries Index by 0.7%. And as I said before on WAM Capital, we were actually quite happy with that performance given small cap companies underperformed the market by 5%. Now, while we maintained our dividend of $0.05 cents a share, the board made the decision to partially frank the dividend at 60% at year end. And this was due to the low level of franking uh, that we had within the portfolio. Now, while uh, dividends uh, can be paid by unrealised and realised profits, franking is a little bit different. It can only really be generated by realised profits, or in other words, when we sell companies at a profit and actually pay tax. Now, given we've seen two negative or bear markets in the last three and a half years, our ability to realise profits has been reduced, and we've also see received less frank dividends from the companies that we receive over this period. So the board made the conservative decision, given the low level of franking uh, within the portfolio, to frank at 60%. And finally, on, on WAM Active, we, we had a great 2023 financial year. We outperformed the index by 14%. And WAM Active has actually been our best fund to start the year uh, with the portfolio uh, outperforming strongly as at the end of August. Uh, we've been able to um, boost the profit reserve here. We're sitting at around $0.10 cents a share at, at, at the end of August versus the $0.03 cent interim interim dividend that we've previously uh, announced. So we're actually in a much better position in WAM Active than we, we were 12 months ago. So look, I'll leave it at that. I'll now pass it on to Tobias and the rest of the team where we're going to talk about themes in reporting season and some key stock ideas. Thanks, Oscar. Look, a theme we saw uh, continuing this during this reporting season is the outperformance of artificial intelligence or AI companies. In fact, it's probably a topic, you know, I'm, I'm quite 
are passionate about. It's a very polarizing subject. You know, the bulls on these AI companies would say that, you know, it's going to be a few years of exponential growth, uh, given the demand. On the other hand, the bears will be saying that the valuation of many of these companies have already priced in, you know, the best uh, the, the best case scenario. So, so the valuation is getting up there. You know, we, we are leaning more positively, and I, I guess we've taken a more pragmatic approach um, in terms of looking at AI companies. You know, we are looking for um, real evidence on the ground from many of these companies that's reported. Um, you can hear it in the teleconference calls or in their presentations talking about implementing AI initiatives that's driving, you know, real efficiency in the underlying businesses. In fact, if you listen to the CEO of Microsoft, you know, someone with probably the best insight into, I guess, this AI trend, you know, he's quoted as saying that AI could be as big as the internet itself. And as investors, it's very important for us to be able to benefit, you know, from uh, the you know, growth in AI over the next few years. So how do we play artificial intelligence in the stock market? You know, the key for us is the fact that we are not the, uh, thematic investors. We can't invest just in a theme. It has to marry up with our investment process, which is buying undervalued growth companies with catalysts that could re-rate the share price. So the catalyst is very important. The best way to describe how that's helping us, you know, the AI thematic and also the, the catalyst way of investing is coming together is to go through a couple of examples. So one of the companies we're bullish on is a company called NextDC. Now it's a data center operator. And in February this year, we started buying NextDC at around uh, $10. The catalyst we've identified speaking to many industry uh, experts on the matter is that Microsoft is having issues with their self-built data centers. So there was, uh, they were more likely to outsource some of their excess server capacity. And as a result, we started buying NextDC. Over the last uh, six to eight months, they've won two large contracts, um, which are from Microsoft um, and a few other um, uh, customers. And the reason we still hold NextDC right now is we believe over the next two years, there will be more uh, large contracts to come um, on the back of these AI capacity or the AI demand um, with data storage. Uh, another company is called Megaport. Now, Megaport, uh, the business is effectively enabling data connection between companies and data centers. Uh, we started buying stock in uh, Megaport around April, May, around $5. The catalyst that we identified there was a change in management. The chairman at the time came in to effectively stabilize the business and introduce financial discipline. He employed a, a CEO from the U.S. who used to run Thousand Eyes, um, a high-growth company, um, to come into Megaport and, and effectively reintroduce uh, sale, the sales culture to, to drive growth. And so the catalyst we've identified is effectively for the company to beat uh, earnings and revenue expectations over the coming years on the back of effectively a renewed uh, strategy and a renewed sales pipeline. So hopefully that gives you a bit of color on some things we've seen, particularly in the AI space. Uh, I would like to pass it out to... Uh, uh, analyst Sam Kosh, uh, for him to talk about his theme. Thank you. Thanks, Tobias. <clears throat> Another key theme that we saw during reporting season was the outperformance of, of the housing sector or companies exposed to the housing sector. We've been progressively increasing our exposure to the housing sector over the last, call it six to nine months, taking a view that I guess the market was a little bit too worried about the impacts of high interest rates, high inflation and a tougher economic environment on the, on the household sector. Um, especially when you've got long-term drivers of um, of the of the industry being sort of the underbuild and the increasing population here in Australia, um, there were two key companies that really delivered um, strong results um, that sort of fit this theme within the portfolio. One of those was Mars Group, the ticker is MGH, and the other one was Nick Scarly, the ticker NCK. And these are high conviction stock picks from us as a team. Mars Group delivered a solid set of FY23 results. It was towards the upper end of, I guess, their revised guidance that they provided towards the back end of the financial year. And I guess the, the key for us, the key highlight for us and for the rest of the market was that strong free cash flow generation in the business. And when you couple that with um, over $70 million worth of capital recycling projects that earmarked for FY24, it really alleviated market concerns around the state of their balance sheet um, sending the stock price 20% higher. Now, despite the 20% move, the stock's still on 10 times price to earnings ratio with over 20% earnings growth forecast. 
we believe to see that we believe there's a number of catalysts to see the stock continue to re-rate from here. That's further balance sheet de-gearing and obviously improving sentiment towards the property sector. The second high conviction stock that fits this theme for us was Nick Scarly. Nick Scarly delivered a really strong set of financials um, in what can be said as a quite tough economic period. Um, if you look at their FY23 result, obviously new sales actually came back as you'd expect. However, the large order bank that they already had and healthy margins really helped cushion that blow. Looking at the FY23 result and the trading update, you can really see why we like to back uh, management teams like Nick Scully. You know, they're managing to outperform peers through not just through trading and through their cost control, but also through the implementation and the integration of their acquisition clutch. So it's trading on about 12 times price to earnings ratio on depressed earnings growth, um, earnings growth forecast. From our perspective, we can see the stock continue to re-rate from here, and it's really about earnings upgrades and potential M&A that will drive that. Um, I'll now hand over to, to Sean. Thanks, Sammy. Yeah, yeah, so I guess along a similar theme, in the, in the months leading into reporting season, we felt as though I guess the market had become increasingly negative on the consumer and retail sector, with the consensus narrative really pivoting towards it being too early to buy these stocks. Um, with the trading updates expected to be very weak and I suppose trigger earnings downgrades as a result of you know, some of those macro headwinds that uh, Sam pointed to earlier. So, you know, we, we looked at valuations in many instances that reach, you know, 10, 20 year lows um, in the retail sector, and in particular relative to, you know, the large cap retail and consumer companies. So, you know, given that, we focus the majority of our analysis on you know, consensus expectations and looking where earnings were expected to be in that second half FY24 and FY25 period and comparing that to what companies had reported in FY19, which reflected a more normalised earnings base versus, you know, the COVID years where the majority of retailers, um, you know, significantly over-earned. So, you know, we focus on building positions in those companies where consensus earnings expectations looked as though they'd been sufficiently rebased and, you know, valuations were pricing in, I guess, excessive, you know, pessimism. Um, and then I guess to give ourselves a bit of a margin of safety, you know, we, we really did focus on those companies where you could see or, or potentially see additional catalysts playing out that could re-rate the share price, such as, you know, the announcement of cost-out programs, which we saw with, you know, the likes of a baby bunting or, you know, those with strong balance sheets that could surprise the market with, you know, capital management or acquisitions or, or divestments. So, you know, a couple of stocks, um, you know, that performed well for us throughout the, the period, which fit, uh, I guess, this theme were premium investments. So, you know, the trading update was obviously strong. Earnings came in 11% ahead of expectations. The other element was really, you know, around balance sheet optional that we identified. You know, Premier holds over a billion dollars in cash and liquid, you know, equity investments in Breville and Meyer, which, you know, we think gives them significant optionality to un undertake, you know, capital management potentially with buybacks or, or special dividends or earnings accretive acquisitions at what we believe is at or, you know, approaching the bottom of the cycle. You've got, you know, founder and chairman Solomon Liu in there as a, as a significant shareholder in the business and, you know, clearly recognise that the shares are trading well below fundamentals, you know, and, and with, you know, a, a strategic review subsequently announced, which, yeah, potentially could see some restructuring of the group and is ultimately aimed at, you know, unlocking value. So, you know, you could see the, the diverge of the high growth businesses such as Smiggle and, and Peter Alexander. So, you know, we think the stock's still cheap. Um, on a sum of the parts valuation, we can get north of $33 a share. So there's 30% upside from here. Uh, and, and I guess another one that we like is GED Holdings, which, you know, faced a lot of scrutiny by the market leading into the FY23 result. You know, there was a lot of concern around potential earnings downgrades on the APG, you know, four by four accessories business, given, I guess, delays in new vehicle supply. And, you know, that was really being compounded by high debt levels. Um, but, you know, we'd identified some potential catalysts in there around, you know, the sale of the Davy water pumps business, which, you know, management had talked about for quite a while in terms of being a non-core asset. So, you know, they were able to sell that business for, for $65 million, reduce the debt, and then, you know, you had earnings come in sort of 3% ahead of expectations. So from here, we think the APG business is significantly under-earning. 
versus the acquisition case. So as that new vehicle supply continues to recover, you know, you're going to see a strong tailwind for earnings and drive upgrades. And, you know, the balance sheet's now de-risk and it trades at over a 25% discount to history. So, yeah, we, we continue like that one as well. I'll hand it over to Will now, who will, um, yeah, call out a, a theme and some key ideas. And the, yeah, the last theme is is profitable tech. And it's a talking point because over the last couple of years, we've really seen um, a lot of unprofitable tech companies, um, I guess, being topical during reporting seasons. However, this year, it was those previously loss-making companies that have become profitable. So um, a great example of this was Tyro. Um, we've seen them lose money the last couple of years, and they were able to really control their costs. And I think what um, was the best part about Tyro's result this year was that they're showing that into 2024, they'll be able to keep that co- those costs under control. They were to continue uh, growing the top line and you'll really see the operational leverage and, uh, and then be able to generate profits. Um, 360, Life360, another one of those stocks where you saw them beat expectations for the first half result. And if you get the read through for what they're um, going to do for the, for the second half of the year, again, you're going to see them start to make money and, um, and I think the, the, the stock market's really going to start to, to value those companies um, that are generating cash. Back to you, Oscar. Yeah, thanks, Will. And, um, you know, probably worth also highlighting to shareholders. We don't not often get everything right. We did have a few misses through reporting season. I mean, one stock which was quite disappointing for us was a mining services company called Parenti. Um, they actually provided guidance saying that they would grow earnings into the 2024 financial year. And we get to the result and they slipped in the fact that they were going to spend a certain amount on a tech investment, which meant they weren't going to grow earnings next year. So that was certainly a stock that we were disappointed in and and, and we exited our positions um, at, at reporting season. So, um, but why don't, I, why don't I pass it on to Camilla and uh, we'll get stuck into the, the questions uh, um, uh, session. Great. Thanks, Oscar. Um, as always, we've got a lot of questions coming through from our shareholders and you actually just answered one from our shareholder, Will. To start, we've got another one from Mark. His concern is the significant drop in the share price. Can you please explain why the share price has suffered such a drop across WAM Capital, Microcap Research and Active? Yeah, look, thanks very much to the question. And um, I'll spend a bit of time on this one, I think, because it's very important for shareholders to sort of understand the dynamics at play. And certainly this was something that Jeff and I talked about uh, in our um, teleconference a few weeks ago. I mean, the, the first thing I'd say is, is that there's no doubt we're, we're all shareholders too. And, you know, we're, we're very disappointed with how the share price across all the funds really have, have, have performed over the last, call it 12 to 18 months. And, you know, we're working incredibly hard within the team. And as I said, we've had it, we had it with, you know, first step's been very good year in 2023. And we're hoping that, you know, small caps can actually um, outperform through 2024. But if, if I put it all together, I think it's fair to say the broader listed investment company sector as a whole, it's not just us, but just as a whole, you know, has suffered over the last few years. And that's a, a product of the fact we've had two negative or bear markets over the last three and a half years, call it COVID in 2020 and the sell-off in 2022 when the Russia-Ukraine war and inflation uh, largely began. And what this means is is that the, the portfolios or the net tangible assets, which is effectively the portfolio we run, has fallen in value um, over this period. And I think put it... You know, coupled with uh, you know a higher interest rate environment and some economic uncertainty, it has also meant that the premiums that a lot of these list investment companies are trading at have shrunk, and also the discounts have widened. I mean, I, I think using the best example, looking at where microcap, um, we've outperformed every year uh, by quite some way since 2020. Uh, we've increased the dividend, yet the premium has shrunk from you know to over 25 percent at one point in 2020 or 2021 to today being 13%. So, and we've also seen the net tangible assets fall as well, given with the market. But I think, look, if we look at WAM Capital, which I assume, you know, a lot of our investors on the call today would be interested in um, and, and probably would be asking a similar question. Um, I think it's worthwhile noting that we can only um, add to the profit reserve effectively if, if we're making a profit. Now, unfortunately, in the last two, in the last, well, we've had two instances in the last three and a half years where the portfolio has fallen, which means we haven't been able to add to the profit reserve through that period, which means that we, at this point in time, we only have 14 cents in the profit reserve versus the 15 halfers 
15 and a half cents we, we, we've consistently paid for some time. But what's more is, is that the net tangible assets, which, the, which is the portfolio we run, has when, when you pay a dividend, dividend, it falls by the value of that dividend. Um, and at the same time, the, the, the portfolio hasn't risen enough to offset the, the fall in that dividend. And so what that means is, is that if we go back to 2020, the net tangible assets of, of WAM Capital might have been, I think, around $1.95 to $2 a share. Um, today, they are $1.45. So effectively, the net tangible assets um, has fallen by call it 20, 20 to 25%. Now, also at the same time, the premium has shrunk. So today, we're at a 14% premium instead of call it a 25% premium at that point in time. So if you look at that and put it all together, that's a drop of around 30% which is effectively where you go from the $2.20 or so share price that we were um, about 18 months ago or so to about the $1.65 that we are today. Now, while it's important to look at the share price, it's definitely important to look at the share price and that drop there, you, you can't discount the fact that we've paid you dividends along that journey as well. You need to add back the dividends that we've, we've, we've given you to get a total shareholder return. And through that period, we've paid... I think um, around 45 cents of dividends um, over that call it three year period, and you know are set to um, hopefully give you 15 and a half cents in the next 12 months as well. So, look, hopefully that gives you a, a flavour and answers the question. Um, the net tangible assets fallen because we've kept paying you dividends through this turbulent time, uh, but it is important to add back the dividends to, to assess your total shareholder return. Thanks, also for that explanation. Um, just to drill down a little bit further, our shareholder, Michael, he says his investments in WAM Active and WAM Capital have dropped 30% and 20% respectively. Do you think you can provide a little more context around why that might be? Yeah, and look, as I said before, look, this is something that this hurts us when we, we hear things like that. Um, as we said, we're shareholders as well. We take our jobs incredibly serious and in terms of our responsibility. I think, you know, if with a drop that much, if we just focus on WAM Capital, I'm assuming, Michael, you probably bought shares at, say, $2.20 to $2.30, something like that. As I explained, the net tangible assets has fallen by around 25% in that period, and the, and the, and the premium has also shrunk. We're at a very high premium to its net tangible assets there of around 25%. Today, it's around 15%. Put that together, you'd say that you know it's around a thirty to thirty-five percent drop, as you said, from around two dollars twenty to a dollar sixty-five. But don't discount the fact that you have received dividends over that period, so you need to add that back um, to to fully assess your total shareholder return. Thanks, Oscar. Next one from Tony. Same topic. What do the companies need to do to recover the share price? Well, we, we can't, unfortunately, we can't control the premiums or discounts um, that our, our funds trade at. Now, as I said, the, the, the WAM capital premium has fallen from around 25% to around 15% today. So the market decides what that premium to our net tangible assets are. There's not much we can do about that. Um, however, what we can control is outperforming. Um, and, you know, it's we are very happy. I'm as, as the leader of, uh, I guess, the lead portfolio manager of the wider team, we're actually very happy with how we've gone through this period. It's been a very volatile time. Small cap companies have materially underperformed the broader market. It's well over 20%. Um, and we've come through this, this period outperforming every year against the Small Ordinaries Index. At some point, we are going to get a tailwind. We got a tailwind in 2015 and 2016 and had incredible years. So, you know, as we look forward, as we said last call, we're very positive on small caps going forward. Um, we think there will, will be some mean reversion in the next 12 months. We've started to see it in the, in, in, at the start of the 2024 financial year. Um, and so as a consequence, we, we, we're hopeful that, you know, we'll start to see the share price go up as the market also goes up as well. But, you know, we don't have a crystal ball. And, you know, if there's a Russia-Ukraine war that turns up in the – at, at any point, it's going to be very difficult for us to keep paying those dividends. So, as I said in, in my introduction, it is very, very important for all shareholders to be monitoring our net tangible asset announcements when they come out and to monitor the, the performance, how the market is going. If the market falls 10 or 15% in the next few months, let's call it, it, it will be very difficult for us to, to add to the profit reserve and make sure that that final dividend in May can be fully fulfilled. 
Thanks, Oscar. Actually, just on profit reserve from Elizabeth, why do WAM Capital and Active have low profits reserves at the moment? Because we pay you such a high dividend. Um, that's the reason. And the boards of both WAM Capital and WAM Active made the decision, um, you know, back in June 2020 when COVID was really bad to continue paying the dividend. Now, because we had a, another negative market two years later, right, that has, and we've kept paying the dividends through that period, the same amount, um, it has eaten away at our profit reserves. And that's why they're at low levels. Now, we had a choice. We, other list investment companies cut the dividend in mid-2020. We chose not to. Um, so that's the reason why we have a low profit reserve. And it's been that way for four years. Um, you know, I mean, remember sitting here in a conference call mid-2020 thinking there was a high chance the dividend got, would get cut, but we ended up having an incredible year in 2021. So, um, look, we're, we're, as it stands today, we're in, a, we're in a good position. We're in a much better position than we have uh, when we've been in. Uh, in previous calls. As I said, WAM Active is actually looking pretty good now. It's got a one and a half years of coverage. Um, WAM Capital has 80% of the May dividend covered. So, you know, if, if, if the portfolio goes up another couple of percent uh, over the next six months, the May 2024 dividend should be covered. Thanks, Oscar. Tobias, let's go to you. We've got one from George and Cathy. Could you please comment on your holding in Capital Health in light of its recent result? Its share price has been falling in recent weeks and that's been compounded by the selling of a large amount of shares, 17.3 million to be exact, by Tribeca. Can you provide some commentary on the holding there? Yeah, sure. Thank you for the uh, for the questions. Look, we're still very bullish on Capital Health. You know, we do like many of these healthcare players. We think there's a lot of intrinsic value. Um, you know, Capital Health, is a substantial position in our in our fund. I mean, our, our view is that while the result wasn't good, we're beginning to see green shoots in terms of uh, in terms of the outlook statement. You know, when you, when you look at some of our uh, investments uh, in these healthcare names, typically they are the sort of longer term investments, and you know you might not get the payoff straight away, but we believe the share price will trend towards intrinsic value over time. You know, some of the uh, large positions we've had in the fund in the healthcare space. Um, have recently been acquired by either private equity or trade buyers. So we've had someone like Healthier getting acquired by uh, Pacific Equity Partners um, at 80% premium. We've had Silk Lasers getting acquired by West Farmers. Uh, we've had Estia um, getting acquired by Bain. So we believe it, it might be sort of a, you know another couple of years, but you know industry consolidation makes a lot of sense in this industry as well. Um, but we think that the share price is very cheap and the valuation um, is very attractive at this current price. Great. Thanks, Tobias. Oscar, this one is from Carl. He's asked, why was the WAM microcap final dividend only increased by 0.25 cents and the special dividends been discontinued for a second year in a row when the profits reserve has been sitting around 50 cents? Um, what it, what's the story behind that? Yeah, sure. And obviously, this is a, a board decision. I'm not on the board, but so I'm sort of speaking on behalf of the board. But I think... Um, you know, when we started the microcap fund back in 2017, we always we always wanted to restrict the size. And generally, you know, what we feel running the fund is the appropriate size is probably up to around that $300 million in size. Now, in 2017, 18, uh, and 19, and I think was actually 20, I think the first four years, I think we paid a special dividend from memory. And that was really a reflection. Microcaps had a tremendous um they had a really tremendous period um, over that four, first four years. And um, the size of the fund actually got over that $300 million threshold. So, um, you know, we made a decision last year um, in, in, the finan- in the 2022 financial year. Um, you know, we'd increased the, the dividend slightly and we've done it again this year. Um, you know, it's fair to say if we have big years when, the, you know, the, maybe the portfolio is up 30 or 40 or 50%, Potentially, there could be a special dividend, but I think it's it's worth noting. Like we we want to be able to steadily increase that dividend over time, and um, we don't want the problems that we've currently got effectively in WAM Capital, WAM Active, to be in WAM Microcap. So, um, yeah, we we just ideally from the board's perspective is is slowly increase the dividend. If we have a really big year and the size of the portfolio we feel is probably too big, um, then we would reward uh, shareholders with a special dividend. Thanks, Oscar. We've just had one that's come by email from Brad. 
He has said, would it ever be wise to pay more than the NTA for any WAM company as over time the price always seems to drop back close to NTA as paying great dividends and the company can never really grow above NTA? Okay, a bit, bit in that question. But I, I, look, if Jeff was here, he would always say he wants to buy a dollar of assets at 80 cents. Um, yeah, and we've consistently said ever since I've been at, at um, Wilson Asset Management, um, effectively WAM Capital has traded a premium. Um, and certainly there's been periods in time where, you know, we, we've seen uh, Jeff, for instance, sell, sell shares in WAM Capital and WAM Research, given the premium has been very, very high. So, look, if Jeff was here, he'd be saying the most value in terms of the, the, the Wilson Asset Management suite of funds that we manage would probably be within WAM alter, uh, in, in the Alternatives Fund, WMA, and also WAM Global, WGB. Um, so, yeah, we, when we sort of look to invest, and in particular across our team, you know, we're always looking for companies that are discount to their net tangible assets because inherently there's value. You can buy um, a company at effectively a dollar and get a dollar twenty of assets if it was to effectively all be liquidated. So um, that's how we sort of look. We, we look at stocks, um, you know, and potentially, you know, there's a number of investors out there that also, you know, do that with, with listed investment companies as well. Thanks, Oscar. Let's go to some stocks now from our shareholders. Sam, can I get your thoughts on SmartPay? The ticker there is SMP. Yeah, definitely. Um, we're substantial shareholders in SmartPay and really bullish on the outlook for that business. Um, Marty, who's leading the team there, is doing an excellent job rolling out the terminals across Australia. Um, and what we're actually really attracted to, or it's been a subtle change over the last sort of three to six months, is that there's a real there's an opportunity to um, aggressively grow the profitability of their New Zealand business um, and actually shift that business model more closely aligned with Australia. So um, we're, we're positive on the outlook of smart pay. Obviously, in the, in the current environment, it's to be expected. There's a level of sort of consumer weakness, so that might impact transaction volumes across their suite of merchants. We're willing to look through that and look at the opportunity that there's in Australia and New Zealand, so we're positive on it. Thanks, Sam. And, Will, what are your thoughts on Close the Loop Group, ticker CLG? Yeah, CLG, it's had a pretty amazing year and I think it's still relatively undiscovered in the small cap space and offers great exposure to the ESG thematics. Both Sean and I were lucky enough to um, head over to the US next year and see their recent acquisition of ISP. And for a bit of background, um, ISP essentially recycles computers and there's two elements to that. One, you want to make sure that um, their partner... HP want to make sure that all the data is wiped off it for security reasons. But two, about 30% of their computers get taken back to store after they're purchased and they used to throw them out. But they want to make sure that they're really closing the loop within their system so that those computers can be recycled. They did about, I think it was about 24 mil of EBITDA and they gave guidance for 40 mil of EBITDA. So we think it should be another strong year and we still think it's undiscovered within, within the small cap market. One Thanks. thing I'll, I might add just to the comments there from the guys is the first three stocks um, we've been questioned on are, are stocks that we are over 5% in in terms of a substantial shareholding. I think one thing to be mindful of as an investor is when you see us go substantial or over 5% in a company, it doesn't necessarily mean that is the biggest um, uh, position in our portfolio. I think that, that's really important. You, when, when you have a look at the, the companies we're most positive on, you really got to look at drill down to the top 20 holdings in each of the funds that you see at the net tangible asset announcements every month. Thanks, Will, and thanks, Oscar, for that. Um, Oscar, you mentioned this company earlier in, in regards to results, so we'll stick with you. What are your thoughts on the proposed buyout of DDH drilling by Parenti, and what is your outlook for Parenti in the mining services space? Oh, I, I don't really like that. Acquisition. I think it's it's it's. Oh, gotta be careful what I say, don't I? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just look. Perenny was going really, really well. It had a great year. It was one of our best companies uh, last year. They were doing everything right, and then they bought what I would we would consider a lower quality business. Um, you know, drilling services businesses are highly volatile. They're highly cyclical. Um, if there's changes in macroeconomic environments, miners can just stop spending. Um, we've seen that in the past. Um, so for us, we didn't really like the acquisition, um, uh, to be blunt. And then, as I said earlier, uh, I was quite like, lucky I mentioned it actually as one of our losses through reporting season. And, you know, the company decided to spend uh, extra money on, on a technology investment, which took the 
you know, took us as one of their largest shareholders by surprise. So we're, we're a bit sort of puzzled with the strategy of the company at the moment, um, particularly given they were doing everything right. Um, so we exited the company through August. Thanks, Oscar. Now, you mentioned this company earlier, but Tobias, maybe you can provide some more context. Um, thoughts on Tours? Yeah, sure. Um, so Tours, uh, it's the old TPG Singapore. It's a mobile telco in Singapore. Now, we, we love founder-led businesses, particularly when the founder's done it before. So the founder of Tours is the same founder as TPG uh, in Australia, obviously, over the last 20 years, you know, significantly disrupted the market and gained market share. You know, we think this uh, similar dynamic is playing out uh, in Singapore. Um, so we're really back into management to grow market share and they've done an incredible job in a very short period of time. Um, I think management owns about 30, 40% of the company. Um, so it's pretty tightly held. It's not the most liquid of stocks. You know, we are substantial in the stock and we're there for, um, you know, for the next two to five years as he continues you know, his market share gains. Um, you know, our view is they will at some point launch a fixed or broadband product. That's another product that could potentially disrupt the Singaporean market, given where the price point is. Um, and so you know, there's going to have two drivers uh, for the business, both mobile and, and broadband, that's going to be driving the earnings growth uh, for to us um, over the next few years. Thanks, Tobias. Sean, would you be able to speak to Nick Scarley and Premier in the context of the rising cost of living situation and perhaps the outlook of consumer spending here? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Good question. I mean, overarchingly, what I'd say is this is one of the most, I guess, telegraph sort of slowdowns, you know, we've really seen in history. Everyone's talking about, you know, not if, but when's the recession coming? And, you know, what we're increasingly seeing is, you know, the market narrative shifting towards, you know, I guess it's a soft landing. We're in the peak of sort of the fixed to variable rate um, roles at the moment in terms of, you know, interest rates and how that's impacting on consumers. But, you know, what we'd say is, and what we saw through reporting season is, you know, we think that in general, the good retail is going to really survive and thrive through this period. I mean, balance sheets are very healthy. The listed players, you know, in general are holding very clean inventory, and, you know, we think there's opportunities given, you know, the, the, the slowdown has been expected for so long. You know, they've done a lot around their cost base to drive efficiency. So, yeah, net, net, while there are some cyclical pressures, we think, you know, over the, the six, potentially six to 12 months, you know, we think the, the listed space and the companies we're positioned in are, are very well positioned to, you know, gain market share and actually thrive and come out as much better businesses on, on the other side. Perfect. Thanks, Sean. Oscar, can I get your thoughts on NextEd, ticker NXD? What's the outlook there given legislation changes to visas? Well, it's been a ride, Camilla, over the last uh, three weeks, to say the least. Um, so what this business does, we, we are a substantial holder in it. It was actually one of our best stocks uh, in 2023. Um, so basically what these guys do is they provide uh, English language uh, teaching schools uh, for um, uh, offshore students coming into Australia and then from those English language teaching schools, these students then go on to vocational courses or, or, or um, undergraduate degrees effectively. Now, what happened was there was a, a visa in place basically to get as many offshore people into Australia uh, pretty quickly um, to get out there in the workforce and obviously to help some of the labour shortages out there. It's called a Section 408 visa. And while this was doing really well for their English language business, what it meant was was that all the people doing all these English language courses would just go out into the workforce and they weren't actually going to the, the colleges or the vocational courses. So it was actually impacting the business. So um, they came out uh, at the start of August and, and, and dropped us a, quite a nasty earnings downgrade. Um, however, what ended up happening is so the shares fell a lot, uh, fell about 40 or 50%, and I probably would have mentioned that as one of our worst, well, I would have mentioned that as our worst stock over August. However, what happened was on the last day of August, on the 31st, the visa got changed and we actually look at the stock very positively now. This could actually be massive for the business. Um, it just effectively means that it goes back to normal, back to what they've always had. The government's also come out and said there's a number of other dodgy um, operators in the sector um, that might uh, you know, lose licences to bring in English language students. So they could actually take market share through this period. Um, so it's actually a very positive development for the company um, and we've actually been buying the shares again. So, um, yeah, we, we, we quite like it and think it's, a, you know, it'll take time 
for people to understand what's going on, but we think this could be a cracker going into the next 12 months. Thanks, Oscar. I'll just stay with you. Do you think the sentiment across the board towards listed investment companies lately is due to the rise of ETFs? Well, that's a good question. I, I think, look, ETFs have been around for a long time. And I think generally, you know, what we've seen through COVID and the recovery, you know, and even through, you know, that 22, like if we even look at our WAN Leaders Fund, for instance, you know, they've performed incredibly well through that period of time. It shows you the value of active management. Um, but uh, so I think that's been around for a long time. I don't necessarily think that's been the reason why it's been weak of late. The big reason I think is effectively that um, a lot of our shareholders now have a choice. Um, you know, over the last really since the GFC, interest rates have been close to zero. Um, so putting your money in a term deposit versus, you know, a listed investment company offering a 5 or 6% fully frank dividend yield, it probably, you know, people may, may have lent towards listed investment companies because of that. Now, on a term deposit, you're getting a pretty decent interest rate. Um, yes, you might be getting a better yield uh, on various listed investment companies, but you're taking risk on the market and on potentially the premiums contracting or the discounts widening, widening depending on which list of investment company you choose. So I think it's more that interest rates have risen, Camilla, uh, not necessarily the rise of the ETF. Now, I think once the interest rates stabilise, though, and there's more certainty, and we're seeing this across a range of sectors, I think demand will return back to listed investment companies because they are a great structure um, and provide franking and so forth. So, yeah, I think that that's for me, would be the reason. When we speak to a lot of shareholders, they're very confused as to what sort of happened really since COVID, and you know we probably are too. To be to be fair, it's been it's been all over the place, but there is some normality returning into the market at the moment. Um, famous last words, but um, you know it, it certainly the last reporting season we saw was really a return to reporting seasons of old, which was very positive. So, um, as I said, we're in the call with Jeff. We're we're very positive on the outlook, particularly in our cohort of stocks that we look at in small caps. Thanks, Oscar. Great insight. We've just heard that the RBA held, so timely response. Um, we'll stay with you. Uh, Wham Capital, why were there negative results in 2022 and 2020? And then how has this not impacted dividends? Okay, so put really simply, we generate profit when the portfolio goes up. In a, we, we generate a loss when the portfolio goes down in a financial year. Now, in COVID, in 2020, and in 2022, the portfolio went down. So we generated a loss. Um, and that was really over a period of about one and a half years. And, you know, the last, effectively, it's been three and a half years, let's call it, since COVID began. So let's, for, so around 40% of that period, in that three and a half year period, we have not been generating profit. And we need to generate profit to be able to pay a dividend. So what that meant was, was that all the stored up profit we had before COVID, with all the good years that we had before COVID, you know, we, the portfolio falls, we keep paying the dividend. And because we're not generating profit in that tough period, we're not adding to the profit reserve. In fact, it's, it's declining. And that's where we're at now. Because we've eaten away at that profit reserve because of the tough markets that we've had, um, you know, there's only 14 cents a share uh, left there uh, versus the 15 and a half cents in WAM that we pay on, a, on a, you know, for, for the full year. So, look, this, this can change. It only takes like a very positive market, and we saw that in 2021, and that, you know, we won't have any questions on this anymore. And as I said uh, previously, you know, this has been pretty consistent over the last four years, and we're actually sitting today in a much better position than we were, say, 12 months ago. So we're actually feeling more confident around, around the dividends. But, yeah, I think try and think of it really simply. When, when the portfolio goes up, market goes up, we generate a profit, we use that profit to pay a dividend. When the market falls and our portfolio falls, even if we outperform the market, which is what happened in COVID, the market fell, I think, 7% and we were down 3 which is a great outcome for us. But we, because we generate a loss still, we can't put any profit away in the profit reserve. Yet we kept paying dividends, so the profit reserve goes down. So I think that's hopefully I, I tried to do that as simply as possible. Um, hopefully that makes sense. But happy to follow up with a call if, if, if it doesn't. Thanks, Oscar. Very helpful. Um, Tobias, I believe you look after this one, Flight Center, ticker FLT. What are your thoughts on that company? Yeah, so we're still bullish Flight Center. We have quite a few names in the in the travel space, Flight Center, Webjet, uh, Sightminder, and uh, Circle, just to name a few. Um, you know, most of you would be familiar with the leisure part of Flight Center, which is effectively 
you know, obviously going to the fly center uh, stores and, and you know, booking your um, overseas trips. You know, that business actually went through a pretty, pretty um, intense structure change during COVID. You know, management took effectively the chance during COVID to, to uh, right size or optimize that business. And it's benefiting from, I guess, this wave of revenge travel, the, the normalization of travel. What we are more bullish about is the other 50% of the business, which is on it's the Fly Center's corporate travel management business. It's, it's a global business where they manage uh, travel on behalf of small, medium, and very large enterprises. They've won a lot of market share over the last two years. A lot of domestic players offshore are struggling with bad balance sheets. So... Someone like Fly Center, which is very well capitalized, have been able to pick up uh, many of these uh, large contracts. And many of these contracts will be contributing very uh, material profits over the next next few years. So we are bullish Fly Center, and particularly the corporate travel part of the business. Um, and, you know, we think capital management, which they've talked about, is, is another catalyst that could, you know, come, uh, come up over the next six to 12 months. You know, that should also support the Fly Center share price. Thanks, Tobias. Oscar, what is your view on Harvey Norman? Yeah, we talked this one up. Thankfully, it came through in reporting season. I must admit it was a nervous sleep the night before Camilla. Um, but, um, no, we really like this one. I mean, this is a you know classic Wilson Asset Management stock, really. And, you know, Harvey Norman's been around for a very, very long time, known very well by the market. I'd say generally it's not liked in the market. Um and what people forget on Harvey Norman is it has a substantial property portfolio. And we first bought shares in June when the shares were trading at about $3.30 a share. And at that point in time, the share price was trading lower than the property value. Now, we've only seen that happen on two other occasions in the last 15 years. That was in COVID in 2020. And then I think in, in 2012 when internet shopping or e-commerce started, started at pace. Um, so effectively, yeah, May, May 2023, share price was trading lower than the property value. Now, straight away, that's a good um, investment for us because we are getting the retail business for free. Now, what was interesting in the reporting season, we did a bit of work, and this is not only for Harvey Norman but for a number of other companies where we, we sort of we took where analyst earnings were in 2025. Now, 2025 is a long way away, and the reason why we chose 2025 was because we're assuming a recession in 2024 and a really tough environment for retailers. So hopefully 2025 is call it relatively normal. So in Harvey Norman's, in the example of Harvey Norman, all the analysts are so negative on retail and so negative on the economy that their earnings forecast for Harvey Norman in 2025 are actually lower than what they were back in 2019. Now, we don't think the current environment right now is worse than what it was in 2019. So it was interesting in reporting season. All the analysts hate Harvey Norman. They were all sells on the Harvey Norman. They hate it, but they all upgraded their earnings numbers by about ten or fifteen percent. So again, that's a really good catalyst for us. And you know, we we really like Harvey Norman. We think analysts are really are way too negative. They'll work it out over the next six to twelve months and upgrade their earnings and potentially their, their analyst recommendations. Um, we think the stock's well worth well north of five dollars fifty. Thanks, Oscar. Sean, we'll go to you. Can you share your view on the reject shot, please? Sure. Thanks, Camille. Yeah, so the reject shot, another stock that we're um, we're bullish on. I mean, if you look at the FY23 result itself, it came in about 10% ahead of market expectations. You know, and the other key feature was really the company announcing a special dividend and then also reinitiating an additional $10 million uh, buyback. So the balance sheet's very strong. You know, they've got $77 million of cash and no debt. And what we think the business model itself is reaching an inflection point. You know, they've got the business back to strong, you know, positive same-source sales through the second half of FY23. And, you know, we think that continuing to this, into this year as the company benefits from both, you know, the trade down from consumers who are looking for more value, but also much improved merchandising with some of the changes they've made, you know, 12 months ago really starting to, to come through the business and, and resonate with with customers. So, you know, going forward, we think the top line can grow high single digit to potentially low double digit. The company is continuing to roll out more stores. And then if we look at the cost base, I mean, the freight headwind, this was one business that was smashed during COVID because you know, consumers weren't going into shopping centres and then freight went from $3 million to $25 million US dollars. So, yeah, as that freight headwind unwinds this year as well, you know, we think there's a gross margin benefit 
Um, and, you know, given the size of the sales base is almost $900 million, I mean, this company's got massive operating leverage if, if they get the sales right. So, yeah, we think there's upside to analyst earnings expectations. And, you know, the stock trades on seven and a half times cash adjusted PE. So, yeah, again, a classic Wilson Asset Management type stock. And, yeah, we think, we think this stock can double over the next couple of years. Great. Thanks, Sean. Uh, Oscar, we're back to you. This is from Suzanne. As the investments in WAM research are more or less the same as those in the research-driven part of WAM Capital, are there plans for WAM Capital to merge with WAM research? Yeah, thanks, Suzanne, for the question. So um, clearly investors have a choice. If, if they like the, the, the research-driven process only, they can buy WAM research. So there's value there in just owning WAM research, which is probably more longer term. Um, then WAM Capital, which is broadly speaking 50% research, long-term ideas, and 50% market-driven, which is effectively the WAM active side of um, Wilson Asset Management, which is shorter-term ideas. Um, there is no plans to merge WAM research and WAM Capital. Um, look, never never say never, but I would say definitely not something we've, we've talked about. And the reason is, as a WAM research shareholder, if WAM Capital was to acquire you, you would be disadvantaged because your profit reserve is actually quite large relative to WAM Capital. So if we were to acquire WAM Research, your effectively your profit reserve would shrink uh, within within WAM Capital. So look, there's definitely no plans um, at this stage um, at, at, at all. All right, thanks, Oscar. We've got one from Jim who says, with the typical shareholding size within the WAM microcap fund at 2% or less in weighting, what is the value proposition long-term over and above an index fund equivalent? As the market capitalisation of your funds increase, is there any intention to reduce the fees as a percentage? Okay, so with WAM microcap, I think we've averaged since the June 2017 IPO, I think um, just over... I think it's about 10% of our performance a year um, to the end of 30th of June. So, um, look, it's going to be hard to maintain that going forward, but we're obviously very happy with how, how you know, the, the fund has performed. And, you know, clearly that has been better than just buying the small ordinaries index over that period of time. Um, in terms of the stocks we hold within our microcap, effectively none of those stocks are in the small ordinaries index. These are very, very small companies and a lot of them, they're high risk, um, you know, and often we see them before a lot of other funds see them. And, you know, the companies that I mentioned earlier, like Mermaid Marine, SmartPay, you know, NextEd, um, these are all undiscovered companies and that have, you know, have done very well. And don't get me wrong, we get a lot of things wrong too. Um, so it is a very risky part of the market. But broadly speaking, really, I, I, I don't I think almost what five, maybe five percent of the portfolio is, you know, would have an index weight of some description in the small ordinaries index, but it'd be incredibly, incredibly low. Um, in terms of all the funds that we manage, micro, the microcap portfolio would have the lowest correlation with the with the index. Um, so yeah, you really, you really, you know, the um, if you're buying where microcap, you're really backing our stock picking ability. Um, and I think there was another question on fees. Um, look, speaking for Jeff, heard him say this many times. The, the answer is no. Um, we're constantly investing within Wilson Asset Management. Um, you know, you got the call today. You got a lot of the roadshows. How many people do we have in corporate affairs? We're always adding Camilla. Like, uh, I think how many's in the team? There's eight. there's eight of us now. Eight of us. So eight in the team. Fifty-five within the whole organisation. It's doubled in the past three or four years. So it's not something, and, and, and you know, as someone who's in the, uh, I guess, the leadership team and, you know, talking about strategy, we want to attract the best, highest quality people to the organisation. Um, so certainly, you know, cutting fees given the size is increasing, certainly not something we're doing because we're cons consistently investing in the business. Great. Thank you, Oscar. This one is from Brian off the back of our recent results announcements. Can you please clarify reasons for WAM Research's partial franking and whether this will apply for future payments? Yeah, thanks, thanks Brian. Look, I guess this is, a, again, a board decision. Um, franking is different from the dividend. They're, they're pr look, they're pretty similar, but there's quirks. And I think, um, as I explained before, um, with dividends, around 70% of the dividends that we pay come from 
unrealized gains and realized gains within the portfolio. The other 30% comes from the dividends we receive from companies. Franking is very, very similar to that. The only difference is, is that with franking, it has to be off realized gains because you pay tax off those realized gains, right? So it's not unrealized gains, it's realized gains. Now, because we've had two very negative markets in the space of three and a half years, our portfolios dropped. So at various points in time, a lot of the stocks that we owned um, were losing money, let's call it, when we first bought them. So we bought them at a dollar. They might have gone to a dollar twenty, but they fell to eighty cents. So you know we're down twenty percent on our holding. Now we didn't, in terms of how we add value for investors, we don't run our portfolio to get uh, franking, um, and we weren't for sellers at that point because we were looking at the franking balance and saying, oh, you know, we need we need some franking. So we'll, you know, we'll jet, we'll sell the companies if that makes sense. So um, because of the of how that's played out. We've had less realised gains. We've paid less tax, which means we can't pass on as much franking uh, to the shareholder. Now, um, as it stood, we were uh, we could have done a. And I'm speaking for the board here, not because I'm not on the board, but I'm speaking on behalf of the board here. We could have paid 100% franking for this dividend, but it could have been very tight for this for the next dividend at Wham Research. It could have been zero. Um, so we, we we the board took the conservative stance. For future dividends, what you need to really monitor is effectively the market. If if the market goes up a lot and we crystallise some of our gains by selling shares, like we did with Estia Health, which was effectively 6% of the portfolio, and we, we sold out of that company. It was highly successful. Um, it was our largest position. We sold out from the takeover in August. You know, if we if we, we, we sell our turnover increases, we sell more shares, um, some of the companies that we're invested in pay more franking out, pay more dividends that we can pass on to the shareholders, then our franking balance will increase and hopefully in time, um, you know, we can get that franking back to 100%. Uh, but that was the decision the board took at that point in time uh, for the 60%. And, you know, certainly as it stands, you know, we'll have to keep monitoring it. Like we'll have to keep monitoring, you know, the, the, the profit reserve with WAM Capital and our ability to keep paying dividends. Thanks, Oscar. This next one is from Joylan. Wham Capital has an investment in HHY fund of $1.5 million. Is this an unlisted investment fund? Um, certainly a stock I haven't been asked a question on, for, I think, ever. Um, look, our understanding is, look, this is certainly before my time with HHY. Um, it used to be a listed investment company. It was very, very small, and it converted to an unlisted uh, trust, I think. It is... Oh, geez, I reckon it'd be 0.01% of the fund. It's tiny. Um, that, yeah, as I said, it converted to a trust. Fair to say it's a very illiquid position and we probably can't get out. And if we could, we probably would. Um, but it's certainly not something I even think about um, on a day-to-day -day basis, to be fair. It's very, very small. Thanks, Oscar. And then someone's asked, what would be the upside for them investing $10,000 now, given the share price being low? Maybe you can touch on the premium and discounts here. Okay, so I'm not giving you advice. Um, but look, the, uh, the, look, the, uh, the upside, why, well, rather than I just, <laughs> rather talking about the premiums discounts, I think it's just more your view on what small cap companies uh, are going to do. Um, we've had a huge headwind uh, over the last four years. The headwind is is is, is just over twenty percent, and that is a fact. The market has effectively outperformed small cap companies by over twenty percent. At some time, at some point in the future, that will reverse. We don't know when, but it will reverse, um, and we've seen it happen many times before over the years. Um, so I guess when putting Thinking about where to invest in your ten thousand dollars, I think, and looking at the four funds we manage specifically, I think you need to look at your own characteristics, the risk you're willing to take, and you know whether you think small cap companies look cheap at the moment, and where where the best fund to effectively choose the right stocks and outperform the market when the when when it comes back. And you know, it's been it has been a tough period over the last you know that twenty twenty two financial year was incredibly challenging for the team. I mean, thinking about how we've gone through this period, we've actually outperformed every year our small cap benchmarks, um, which, you know, given we don't really own resources, has been a tremendous effort and sets us up well when we when we start to see that mean reversion occur. So 
So, yeah, I think you've got to ask yourself, am I, are you bullish small cap companies versus large cap companies? Are you bullish the market? Um, and, and are we the right fund manager to outperform? And then I think, you know, I should touch on the premiums and the discounts, but, you know, WAM's at a 14% premium. I think WAM Research is at, uh, I'd say, 16 17% Camilla. Um, where microcaps at 14% and WAM Active is trading at about net tangible assets. So the cheapest fund at the moment is WAM Active um, and the most expensive one would be WAM Research. Great. Thanks, Oscar. And thanks to Tobias, Will, Sean and Sam. That's all we have for today. So, Oscar, I'll just pass back to you for any closing remarks. Yeah, th- thanks, Camilla. And thanks to all um, shareholders and for everyone being on the call today. Um, Look, we're always available, um, so please feel free to call in and and we'll get back to you with any questions that you have. But I really really appreciate your support and, and for everyone dialing in today.